In fact, we see when when the angels come to visit Mary, that Mary is afraid that she she's she's afraid of the angels, and we know that to be afraid of of anyone but God is sin. We fear, love, and trust in God alone. So to have fear for the angels is an indication that Mary herself was a sinner who needed the redemption of Jesus just as much as everyone did. There, there is not a single person born that doesn't need the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, Mary included. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther would gather around the kitchen table with friends and theologians to talk about the Bible, theology, current events, and anything else. These discussions were called table talks. No matter what the question, the conversations always centered around Jesus and His promise of the forgiveness of sins. Table Talk Radio takes up the conversation, bringing the promise of the gospel to our lives. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. Welcome to Table Talk Radio. I'm Evan Gigline, and uh, our lovely co-host, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, is here as well. Lovely. Uh, I think that's the first time I've ever been called lovely. Well, you're welcome. I don't, well, I'm not sure I like it. No. Uh, welcome to Table Talk Radio. I'm Evan Gigline, and our awesome co-host, <laughs> Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Daniel says, he, he's learning how to talk. He's two years old. He says, Daniel's awesome. <laughs> I wonder where he gets such arrogance. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. It, it, the, the original sin does flow from the father to the son. You're right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, all of our listeners are, are longing to hear Iron Preacher again, but a little they know you're still a little sore from the last time. And so that's right. That will lost come. all your Ooh, confidence. I'll get him. <laughs> You'll want a rematch. <laughs> Like maybe you, yeah, maybe, right. maybe you want to work up to a rematch. <laughs> True. I think well, I do. In store for this edition of Table Talk Radio is uh, Mythbusters. That's the game where we come up with some theological myths, and we either uh, we will look at the scriptures and deem them whether they are confirmed, plausible, or busted. That's the first segment of Table Talk Radio. Then we're moving into Table Talk Jeopardy. Uh, the category I have for Pastor Brian Wolfmiller today is the wedding at Cana. And then finishing up, we're playing Name That Theologians. We have a, a, a full lineup for Table Talk Radio today. Yeah, these are all my favorite games. All right, well, uh, why don't you, uh, do you want to explain the, yeah, big surprise. Oh, favorite You forgot games. to hit the laugh button. <laughs> it's broken. I've hit it too much. <laughs> oh, boy. What, are we, what is our first game again? Uh, Mythbusters. you want to tell oh, us yeah, what myth- the theme of Mythbusters is? Yes, uh, the theme today are the doctrine, doctrines of Mary. Uh, so we have the four Marian doctrines, and we're gonna we're gonna test them, and then we're gonna determine if they are what was it confirmed or plausible or busted. Right, and the first one is that Mary Mary is the mother of God. The Theotokos, yes, and this was established early on in church history against Nestorius, who denied it. Nestorius came along and said, "Hey." Uh, Mary is only the mother of the human nature uh, of God, of Jesus, and not the mother of God. Uh, Nestorius was notorious. That's nice. Um, (laughs) 
for for being the one who divided the two natures, or, or even more, who separated the two natures. Which, by the way, reminds us that when it comes to theology, the 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 struggle is to divide without separating. Uh, so we want to make proper distinctions without making separations. So distinction between law and gospel, uh, the distinction between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit without separating them, uh, this sort of thing. And this is the same when it comes to the personal union of the two natures of, of Christ. Jesus, of course, is 100% God and 100% man uh, and united two natures in one person. And this personal union means that we can speak of things that you would think belong only to the human nature, uh, that of the person of Christ and even of his divine nature. The the most famous verse of this is um, when Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, and he talks about shepherding the church of God, which has been purchased with his own blood. So so there Paul talks about the blood of God. And from this, we, we begin to understand that the things that belong to the human nature of Christ, even in the mystery of the personal union belong uh, belong to God as well. So we can talk about the death of God, the suffering of God, even when it comes to Mary, the mother of God. And in fact, in church history, we're taught to uh, speak this way to make sure that we preserve the union of the two natures of Christ. So this myth, the, that Mary is the mother of God, is confirmed. Confirmed, that's right. Well, then the next one then, uh, was the next one the perpetual virginity of Mary? Yeah. Do you want? To, I. I. There's a line in the. By the way, in our Lutheran confessions about Mary being the mother of God, I think it's Article Eight in the uh, Formula of Concord. Do you remember that where that is? Uh, I'll look for it while you introduce the next one, the perpetual virginity. Uh, I was trying to think of that too. Um, That's right. I'll look here. So you tell oh, wait, us wait, about wait. the perpetual virginity. Uh, um, I'm trying to think here. <laughs> I have it. It's like on the tip of my tongue. Um, well, are you going to quote the Book of Concord? Yeah. You ready? Are you looking for it? Yeah, I'm ready. I, I am looking for it. I'm cheating. <laughs> okay. Uh, the perpetual virginity of Mary. This is a teaching that, um, uh, of course, we would no, – no one – well, I should say no one. Uh, but in the Christian church, it's widely uh, accepted and um, a, a teaching of the of, of Holy Scriptures that, that – uh, that Mary was a virgin, but then, but then the question is when we talk about perpetual virginity, that, that she remained a virgin, and so the question—that is the question—it was, was um, Mary uh, a virgin for the for the rest of her life, or did she uh, in, engage in normal uh, marital affairs with with her husband? So that's that's the question on the table, and uh, Pastor, what do you have to say about this? Yeah, Mary is called the mother of God. Um, I'm mean, sorry, Mary is called perpetual virgin. I think this is in the seventh century, right around there. Uh, very, uh, very early on in church history as well. There, there are th- actually three things at work here. This is a uh, th- three things we have to say. The first is that when when the Lord Jesus was conceived, he was conceived in the Virgin. In other words, without the assistance of a man, there being the reason why he didn't have original sin, and that of course is true, no problem. Uh, the second thing is the the Virgin birth of Jesus. Uh, that that uh, Mary is a virgin even uh, after Jesus is born, so that she remains a virgin and also a mother, the only uh, woman in history to have both of those uh, vocations uh, to herself. And then the third, like you said, the third part is the um, is is Mary's and Joseph's chastity if they remained chaste uh, uh, afterwards. The first two are matters of doctrine that Mary is both the mother of Jesus and a virgin, and that is 
certainly confirmed. The, the third question, the question of history, um, the, the scriptures don't give us a definite answer on that. Some people will argue that, uh, for example, the Bible says that uh, Ma- uh, Joseph didn't know Mary until Christ was born, and so that until must imply uh, action that happened after that. But the Greek word there has no such implication. Um, so, so while it's a matter of history and we don't know, it's it's possible uh, that Mary uh, remained uh, a virgin, but uh, but we we don't want to make it a matter of doctrine or a matter of dogma. Uh, it's a matter of of pious opinion, uh, and it was held in the church by everyone in the church really, until oh I don't know till the nineteenth century, eighteen mid nineteenth century or something like that, uh, when it started to be rejected and this sort of thing. So. Uh, yeah, so I think this one is going to be strongly plausible, but we don't want to bind people's consciences. What do you think about that? Plausible. I like it. And I have the Formula of Concord Solid, Solid Declaration, Article 8, The Person of Christ. On the account of this personal union and the communion of natures, Mary, the most blessed virgin, did not bear a mere man. But as the angel testifies, she bore a man who is truly the son of the Most High God. He showed his divine majesty even in his mother's womb, because he was born of a virgin without violating her virginity. Therefore, she is truly the mother of God, and yet has remained a virgin. He did all his miracles by the power of this personal union. He showed his divine majesty according to his pleasure when as he willed. Yeah, that's right. So you have actually both of these Marian doctrines there. Uh, The first is the mother of God, where it says that she is truly the mother of God and yet remains a virgin. Uh, and then also this business of, of Mary remaining a virgin even after the birth of Jesus. So so there you go. So uh, is that speaking then to the perpetual virginity in, in that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it leaves the historical question a historical question. Um, uh, but it, it points out that there's, some, that there's a miracle in the birth of Jesus, uh, in his virgin birth. Uh, so, so how this is, you know, how, that, how someone can be both a mother and a virgin at the same time, uh, is a mystery, but it's a miracle that's worked, that's worked by Jesus because he is both God and man, uh, and he gives that miracle to his mother. So so oh, there you go. Good. Well, we have a couple more myths to hit right after this commercial break, uh, but if you have any questions that need answers, uh, and for some reason you think that, that we could help you, <laughs> email us questions at tabletalkradio.org, or you can call our voice mailbox 866-851-5523. I always, always, always forget to have you say that number for us because I know you don't know it. You should learn it. You should learn it and then surprise me. 1-866-TABLE-TALK-MYTHBUSTERS. (laughs) 866-851-5523. Or you can interact interact with us and our listeners by posting on our forum located at our website, tabletalkradio.org. More MYTHBUSTERS on Table Talk Radio right after this. Hi, this is Todd Wilkin, host of Issues Etc. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Sorry. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We're, wake- we're making our way through the four... Uh, 
Marian doctrines uh, in our Mythbusters segment of Table Talk Radio. So far we've talked about uh, Mary, the mother of God, and the perpetual virginity. Now it's time for the Assumption. Everybody's uh, favorite topic, Doctrine of Mary. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to sing Ave Maria here pretty soon. Did I tell yeah. you that there's a Lutheran, the choir at the St. Louis Seminary did a, a Lutheran version of the Ave Maria. They changed the words but kept the tune the same. Uh, and I had a funeral, uh, and the um, the member who died really wanted that that particular song, the Ave, Mar- the Lutheran version of the Ave Maria. So I got it all queued up on the computer and tried to start it before the funeral, and, and pow, the computer blew up. <laughs> it didn't recognize it was the Lutheran version, apparently. Oh. <laughs> the Assumption. Tell us about the Assumption. Uh, this is the teaching that Mary uh, was a, was taken up into heaven without dying. Um, I, when did this come about? Did we look these dates up? I have them on this big paper, at, but it's in my office, and here I am not in my office. Uh, when The Assumption, though, was a long time in the church. In fact, the Assumption of Mary even... Uh, occurs on a number of Lutheran liturgical calendars. Some people might be surprised uh, to know that. Um, but it was made doctrine, oh, just recently in the last couple hundred years. Uh, and and that's really what it is, that she was taken up into heaven without dying. Very good. So, what do, you so th- what do you think about that? Well, uh, I'm trying to the, see the, the test here that we have here for when we play Mythbusters. Um, is the Holy Scriptures. And I'm I'm racking my brain. I'm, I'm using my electronic Bible here to try and search uh, where it talks about that, and, and I'm getting zero results. Yeah, look, we know, this is what we know from the Scriptures, that the Lord can take people to heaven without them dying. For example, Elijah or Enoch, you know, who walked with God and was no more, and Enoch who's taken into heaven in a in the fiery chariot without dying. Uh, some say Moses, but we know that's not true because because God himself buried Moses, and there's a, this, this dispute between the devil and, was it St. Michael? over the body of Moses. We hear that in Jude. Um, but uh, uh, so we know it's possible. It's possible for God to take someone to heaven apart from them dying, right? Correct. Now, did God give that gift to Mary? Well, I'm glad uh, you asked that question because I, I was trying to find the date that you were just wondering about. And I found, um, I need to move my microphone, so I might miss a little noise there. But uh, it, it says that, uh, who is this? Pope John Paul II quoted John fourteen three as the scriptural basis for this. That's uh, you know Jesus is uh, telling his disciples at the Last Supper, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself. And so that's the scriptural basis, evidently, for the assumption. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's just nutty. I mean, if we if you want to and if you want to get into the Catholic logic that because Mary was sinless. Then um, and so she needed not be judged by death, and that has to do with the immaculate conception of Mary, which is the myth that's coming up next. Uh, then we have to bust this myth because that's not—it's just not true. And and that that Jesus is not talking to Mary there; he's talking to all of his people. And to steal that comfort from the Lord's Christians and to give it uniquely to Mary, the Mother of God, then uh, uh, then we'll bust it. But. Uh, if we just let it s- sit as th- the Mary was taken into heaven as a special gift uh, from Jesus, like he gave to Enoch and to Elijah, then it it remains, while improbable, very improbable, we have to at least say that it's, uh, that it's plausible. I mean, this sort of thing c- could happen, um, but there's no indication in the scriptures uh, that it did. 
How All about right, that? Plausible. So somewhere it, between plausible and busted. So <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're about as definite as the real Mythbusters. <laughs> I know. We'll All have right. to do a best of Mythbusters show and revisit the myths. Yeah, we should. All right. Uh, last one, then. You alluded to it earlier, Immaculate Conception. Now, when I was uh, younger and more naive, um, it's hard to believe I was more naive than I am now, but um, I always thought when people talk about the Immaculate Conception, they were talking about, of course, uh, Jesus. Of course he was Immaculate Conceived. You know, we talk about it in the Creed. We confess it every Sunday. But that's not what's being spoken of here. No, it's uh, talking about Mary, that Mary was conceived immaculately. Uh, in the womb without that is without sin in the womb of her mother mm, what was Mary's mother's name oh can't remember that's terrible uh, and so it's talking about Mary being free from the curse of original sin so Mary was was, was sinless and, and by the special gift of God her, her sinlessness made her a fit vessel for the Lord Jesus that's the immaculate that's the teaching of the immaculate conception more and more, uh, Mary seems to be more and more exalted in in Catholic dogma, more and more and more. Now, we do have this great high respect for Mary, as she herself said, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that all generations shall call me, call me blessed. So Mary is the blessed mother of our Lord, the blessed mother of God, uh, the the blessed virgin. But uh, but to, to get into the sinfulness stuff, this is... Um, this is certainly going beyond what the scriptures say. Um, Mary speaks of the Lord's, of the Lord's looking with favor upon her, with grace. And the reason that He would look with favor upon her, with grace, is because she was undeserving of the gift of having the Lord Jesus in her womb. In fact, we see when when the angels come to visit Mary, that Mary is afraid that she she's she's afraid of the angels. And we know that to be afraid of of anyone but God is sin. We fear, love, and trust in God alone. So to have fear for the angels is an indication that Mary herself was a sinner who needed the redemption of Jesus just as much as everyone did. There, there is not a single person born that doesn't need the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, Mary included. So this is definitely busted. 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 All right. Well, that is a pretty good game right there of, of myth busters. Let's move then right into uh, Table Talk Jeopardy. Whoa. And the cat... Category I have for you is the wedding at Cana. So uh, go ahead. I, I have for you gospel readings for the Epiphany season. Oh boy. Okay. So these are uh, related topics. Yes. So you go first. In fact, my category falls under your category. Right. Giving you a slight advantage. That's all right. Okay. I'll take uh, wedding at Cana for 100, please. Okay. The reply of Jesus after Mary said to him, they have no wine. Uh, uh, what is something like this? Uh, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Correct. That is right. 100 points. What, what, is that exactly right? Yeah. Uh, woman, what do I have to do with you? My oh, hour has not right. yet come. What do I have to do? People say that this Jesus is being rude to his mother, Mary. Yeah, woman. Uh, <laughs> by saying woman, but this seems to be an affectionate. In fact, what Jesus uses the same word when he's dying on the cross, and he says, uh, "Woman, behold your son," and gives Mary over into the care of the apostle John. So, that's nice. 
There you have it. Okay, good. Uh, should I'll, I'll I do all yours, or are we going to go back and forth here? We'll go back and forth. That's fine. Do you think the Do you think that our listeners can uh, can handle that kind of um, a jarring, uh, anti thematic uh, nature? <laughs> I, mean, I, I have we full faith go, in our listeners. We go we go one topic and stick with it for a while, but to go back and forth. All These right, are related we'll topics. They're all right. All right, that's true. All right, uh, for one hundred, I hope. Yep. Prompted by the star and the prophet. These Gentiles found and worshipped Jesus. The, what are the wise men or the magi? Right. Who, I think you would want to say. Or, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right, for 100 points. Jot that down there. 100 Alex points. Trebet would be very disappointed in me not phrasing it in the question correctly. Well, that's all right. I'm, uh, I'm not Alex Trebek. I, I, uh, but you got this right. The visit of the Magi from the East, they followed the star and the prophet uh, from the voice of the scribes, and they found Jesus, and then they worshipped him. You know, did you, have you read Luther's sermon on this where he says, how everyone seeing the Magi f- worshipping Jesus would have said, what great fools these men are? No. For bowing down and worshipping this baby, which is really great. Because here is God hidden in the flesh of Jesus, and they're worshiping him rightly. You know, In fact, the, the Jews around must have thought that this was idolatry to worship a man. But because this man is God, uh, he, is, he is rightly worshipped and, and adored, etc., etc. How many wise men were there? Three, don't you know? Uh, okay. Yeah, everyone likes this smarty pants answer to say <laughs> the text doesn't say three, but look at I mean you would be embarrassed to be the fourth to come with no present, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, maybe there were multiple gifts of gold. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's so here's half of the gold from wise men number seven or whatever. <laughs> All three, right. I what who said three? Uh Leo the Great, Irenaeus, someone really early said there was three for that same reason. Uh Did he the, did he write the the song? What? We three kings of da, 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 da. Uh No. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. All right. Well, we need to take a quick break. What? But we'll be right back. I know. It's already time for a commercial break. I don't even know what segment we're in. What's going on here? We're, we're, we're end of two going into three. Oh, good. Halfway Wake up, in. would you? Well, listeners, you Man. can rejoice. We're halfway through. Almost, you're almost there. <laughs> Just hang in there. Issues Ooh, Etc. Well, comes on in 20 more minutes. <laughs> for some Oh, man. Well, we promised to be uh, more focused and on track if you listen to our Table Scrap edition of Table Talk Radio, which is on our website, tabletalkradio.org, where you can hear additional interviews and commentary. It's only available on the Internet. So check that out, tabletalkradio.org. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for these commercials, and we'll be playing more Table Talk Jeopardy. Table Talk Radio. Serious theology. Seriously bad hosts. Hi, this is Evan Gigline. We at Table Talk Radio are concerned with the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of the world. With this includes the expansion of Table Talk Radio. We would like to have Table Talk Radio broadcasted on as many radio stations as possible to proclaim the life and work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all sin. 
but we need your help. Many radio stations across America allow religious programming in their lineup on a particular day, usually Sunday mornings, providing the programs pay for their airtime. Perhaps a radio station in your area would be willing to play table talk radio, and a local business or church would be willing to help support the costs incurred. If you would like to discuss this possibility in your area, please call our toll-free number 866-851-5523. Leave a message and I will personally return your phone call promptly to discuss this possibility. Thank you for your consideration in expanding Table Talk Radio for the sake of the gospel. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Uh, 100 points apiece for Pastor Brian Wolfmuller and myself uh, playing Table Talk Jeopardy. I think it's your turn to pick a, cate- or pick a question under the category, The Wedding at Cana. Okay, I'll have Wedding at Cana for 200, please, Evan. Uh, Mary's instructions to the wedding servants. Ooh, this is nice. Um, Mary says something like... Um, uh, do whatever he tells you. So the answer or the question would be, what is do whatever he tells you? Close enough. Uh, whatever he says to you, do it. But okay. but you were probably reading the Brian Wolfmuller uh, translation. I, I think I was translating straight from the Greek. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 200 more points. Winning at Cana, first sign. That's a nice text. Uh, and this is and here you know we were talking about the doctrine of Mary. Here you see it. I mean, Mary as a as the blessed saint that she is is pointing always toward Jesus. Look at him. Do what he says. And this is. I mean, we still have those instructions are still fitting for us today. L- listen to Jesus. In fact, that leads to the next answer that you're going to have. So you pick it, and then we can talk more about that. Um, Two hundred. Okay. Uh, this event marks the first of the three times in the New Testament that we hear the voice of God the Father. Okay, this is going to be the baptism of our Lord. Uh, Am I right? Yeah, except for I'm waiting for you to phrase it as a question. Oh my goodness, okay. What is the baptism of our Lord? Look at I'm long suffering and merciful. Okay, so we we have have, uh, the baptism of our Lord, the amount of or yeah, the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah. Uh, what's the third? It's in John when there's a voice. Jesus cries out, and then he the, he hears a voice, and then he says, "This was not for my sake, but for your sake." Ah, very good. But we don't know what the voice said there. Those are, I think, the three times that we hear the voice of God the Father uh, in the New Testament. Uh, but you're right. The first time is at Jesus' baptism when the voice comes from heaven and says, "This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." So that just as Mary points to Jesus, so this is really amazing. God the Father points to Jesus. And all the prophets and all the apostles and all the witnesses always are pointing to Jesus. Even the Holy Spirit is pointing to Jesus. This is the one. Uh, This is the Son of God. Listen to him. Hear him. Do what he says. Uh, So this is... This is really wonderful. So the baptism of Jesus, by the way, is celebrated on the octave of Epiphany. So Epiphany is January 6th, and then eight days later later is January 14th, and that's the day of the baptism of our Lord. Um, when we hear, when we see the 
the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove and the voice of God the Father. Uh, this is my beloved son. In fact, we had a special Table Talk Radio edition for that uh, for the baptism of our Lord. You can go on our website at tabletalkradio.org and listen to that on the podcast page. All right. I think I remember dominating in that game with the Table Talk Radio points. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't question that. I whenever I whenever I uh, come away with points on this show, uh, after we get done, I print off a little certificate for myself for Table Talk Radio points. So I have all these plaques all over my wall of Table Talk Radio points. <laughs> yeah, I have my certificate of ordination on my wall. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there, <laughs> uh, and a picture of my wife and children. <laughs> Brownie points. Uh, did they listen? They must listen to the show, or else you wouldn't have said that. No, no. That, but I'm just, I'm just comparing the table talk radio points versus, you know, I, I don't know. Like, not trying to make you feel bad on purpose. <laughs> All right. All right. How about wedding at Cana for three hundred, please? All right. This is Jesus' instructions to the wedding servants. Uh, what is fill up the water jugs? Um, I think that's all. I don't. I think the indication of how many water jugs there are uh, is in in the narrative, not in the words of Jesus. So I fill up the water jugs and bring them to me. I think that's what Jesus says. So how about that? Uh, we're going to have to consult the judges on this one. The answer is what? Or uh, the question rather? What is fill the water pots with water and take it to the head waiter? Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Judges can. Hey, I have a coin to. Yeah, I think I got that wrong. That's a that's an important point that it's not they're not brought to Jesus, but they're brought to the head waiter. <laughs> so I don't. I'm going to take no points for that. <laughs> All right, as if the points are mine to take, <laughs> not to as if they matter anyway. <laughs> <laughs> take the fill up the water. There are seven jugs of pure for the purification of the Jews. John makes that note, and he fills them up, and then take them to the head waiter. Okay. I think I know what question is coming next, but it's your turn. Okay, I'll take uh, Gospel Text for Epiphany for 300. Okay. Um, When Jesus visited Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover with his family, he was left behind in the temple for this many days. What is three days? Right. Three days in the temple before Jesus. So is is it, is it is some sort of a co- weird coincidence that as three days when we also have you know Jesus uh, uh, in the grave for three days and and all other uh, concurrences of this in in the in the Bible? Probably. <laughs> that's right. How many uh, how many days was Jesus in the temple? Three. Why? Well, just because that's how many it was. That's how simple-minded I am. <laughs> okay. Three days. That'll work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But then there's this, always this question with this three days in the temple because they say, hey, uh, uh, did did Jesus disobey his parents? And we see in this text the kind of um, the tension that goes between Jesus as the Son of God and the Messiah and the great prophet and Jesus as a boy and a son. But the text tells us that he obeyed his parents in every way. Um, but but here these two vocations come close to conflicting, but in somehow in the way that our Lord Jesus was perfect in every way they don't conflict for him nice well done oh, thank you. okay so your turn uh, f- uh 300 400 what is it what's left well, i don't know you're the one that 
There's four and five hundred left. Okay, four hundred. Wedding at Cana for four hundred, please. Uh, and that is your daily double. All right. So what do you have? Three hundred points to wager here. I'll put them all on the line. All right, three hundred points on the line, and it is the response of the head head waiter to the wine uh, brought to him. Um, he says something like this: "What is?" Everybody else serves the good wine first, and then when they have well drunk the the cheap wine, but you have saved the best to last. That is correct. So uh, you get 300 points, bringing you to a total of 600 points thus far. Isn't there something really wonderful here, too, about this, the fact that when Jesus turns water into wine, he doesn't turn it into cheap wine, <laughs> but really nice wine? I mean, does, <laughs> right, right. Is, is there something really wonderful there? Is that... Uh, it's this i mean this is the the inbreaking of the messianic kingdom uh the all these old testament psalms that promise that when the messiah came the hills would drop with fatness and the valleys would run with wine and here it is jesus makes these like 700 gallons of wine or whatever uh it's just more than the whole village could drink for months and it's the finest nicest stuff uh there's something really wonderful about the way that Lord Jesus uh, has all of this goodness and all of these riches for us. By the way, I heard uh, some pietists say one time that you know th- these types that will you know say that we shouldn't drink any alcohol and things like that. They said that uh, the wine that that Jesus made was actually grape juice, which is why it tasted so good. <laughs> oh, brother. Well, I, I guess if you don't want to, you know, believe the words of the text, you could do that. Yeah, make the text say what you need it to say, brother. <laughs> All right, I'll take gospel text for Epiphany for 400, please. Okay. Uh, this, by the way, will be your last question. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> <running> out. <laughs> okay. Uh, when, when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain, he is with these following disciples. Uh, who is Peter, James, and John? Right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh man. Okay. I got one. We got one minute left. So let's hit your last what? one. Okay. Well, um, and this one isn't in the form of a, uh, a Jeopardy question because I can't figure out how to word it that way. But five hundred. Explain the meaning of verse eleven, which reads, "This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him." This is why this is such a great epiphany text, because it's about this manifestation or the making known of the Lord's glory. And so he's he's showing he's beginning to show to the world who who he is. And signs is a little bit different than miracles. But it's the uh, uh, it's the fact that Jesus is doing this to show forth the fact that he is the promised Messiah, that he is God in the flesh, uh, that he is the. Uh, the ruler of the waves and the sea, and that all creation uh, obeys him. And so he's showing forth who he is there to his disciples, to his mother, to all who were paying attention, uh, the servants who knew where the wine had come from, and Jesus is showing that he is the promised Messiah who is to come into the world. Of course, this is the first sign. The last sign is his, his resurrection and ascension, but the chief sign is his death on the cross when the Son of Man is lifted up and, and, his, glo- and his glory is beheld as he's there on the cross. You are awarded 500 points, and uh, don't go away. Name that theologian right after this commercial break. We'll be right back.
Did you know you can advertise on Table Talk Radio? Get the word out about your event or conference, or inform them about your product or service. Sponsors of Table Talk Radio are played on all of our affiliates and are permanently placed on our podcast at tabletalkradio.org. For more information, leave a message at 866-851-5523 or email me, evan, at tabletalkradio.org. That's 866-851-5523 or evan at tabletalkradio.org. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. One more segment left. That is Name That Theologian. And we have a couple theologians. Well, why don't you go first? I think we, have, we both have two. But if we don't get to my last one, no biggie. So why don't you go first? Okay, here it is. Three uh, quotations from a particular theologian's sermon. And you got to name who it is. Time uh, out. This is for... Uh, do, you, do you still do Reformation theologians? Should we cast out that rule? No, I cast out the rule. Okay. But this ahead. is a popular one. You should know this, I think. Oh, great. Set me up for failure. You know this one for sure. This is really easy. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Uh, The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath toward you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than even a stubborn rebel did his prince, and yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. That's the first quote. Okay, no idea. Keep going. Now, undoubtedly it is, as it was in the days of John the Baptist, The axe is in an extraordinary manner laid at the root of the trees, that every tree which brings forth, which brings not forth good fruit, may be hewn down and cast into the fire. Therefore, let every one that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. The wrath of Almighty God is undoubtedly hanging over the great part of this congregation. Let every one fly out of Sodom. Haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you. Escape to the mountain lest you be consumed. Amen. <laughs> That's the end of the sermon. <laughs> okay. Do you have another one? more. Yep. The bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready on the string, and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow, and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God, and that of an angry God, without any promise or obligation at all, that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Thus all you that never passed under a great change of heart by the mighty power of the Spirit of God upon your souls, all you that were never born again and made new creatures and raised from being dead in sin to a state of new and before altogether unexperienced and light and life are in the hands of an angry God. Okay, so this is the part where I have to guess a theologian. Right. Um, it's all law. I didn't hear any gospel. Is there any gospel that I missed in there? Nope. Okay, so Allah, uh, which originally compelled me to maybe say Fred Phelps, the pastor of that Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka that does all the weird picketing of military funerals. But right. he wouldn't dare preach that to his 
own church. I think because uh, he would view all of his church members as elect, um, I don't think you'd have to preach that to them. You only preach that to the people, you know, that are, you know, dying for our country. Um, so I, do, I don't even have a guess. I don't know. This is Jonathan Edwards, oh. and the famous sermon is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. There it is. Sure enough. The classic Puritan preaching, and it's it's based, it's got this terrible doctrine because it's Calvinistic, so if only you're only saved, you're only forgiven, you're only redeemed from your sins if you're the elect, so there can't be any gospel because you might accidentally give out the gospel to someone who's not elect. So right. Oh, yeah. All you can do in the end is say, run for it. Well, uh, but run that doesn't make sense. I mean, even if you believed in that, uh, what would be the danger of, of someone who isn't electing the gospel? I mean, it's not like you're going to make someone believe that isn't elect. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make sense. You, see, the, you can tell someone who's elect, Jesus died, or someone who's not elect, Jesus died for the sins oh, so of the you'd elect. you'd be merely just lying to them. But, but, but see, what you can't say is Jesus died for you, because you don't know if he died gotcha. for them or not. Gotcha, gotcha. There it is. So you can just say the historical fact of Jesus' death, but you can't say you can't give it in as a promise, which is precisely what the gospel is—the promise of the forgiveness of sins on the for the sake of Christ's death on the cross. All right, you ready for your quotations? Then, sure. Here it is. What Paul means by justification in this context should be therefore clear. It is not how you become a Christian so much as how you can tell who is a member of the covenant family. When two people share Christian faith, says Paul, they can share table fellowship, no matter what their ancestry. And all this is based foursquare, of course, on the theology of the cross. I am crucified with Christ, he writes. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The cross has obliterated the privileged distinction that Saul of Tarsus Posed himself to enjoy. The new life he has as Paul, the apostle, is a life defined not by his old existence, but solely by the crucified and risen Messiah. Now, those of you listening and trying to discern along with me who in the world this is, you you hear a couple key phrases in there about how justification is a matter of being part of the people or something like this. It's not a matter of salvation, but a matter of, I don't know, what. how did they say it? It's... Um, Justification. Uh, sharing the table fellowship. Uh. Share, yeah, yeah. So, so now this business of fellowship and being part of the people of God and stuff, this clearly indicates this theologian is a practitioner of what we call the new perspective on Paul, which is nothing other than the old scholastic Roman Catholic perspective on Paul. Uh, but nonetheless, these guys who have discovered it um, think that they're onto something new. And... Uh, and it's a denial of the doctrine of justification being the forgiveness of sins, and justification is rather being part of the people of God. So let's have a, let's see if we can narrow it down with a, another quotation or two. Do you have a couple more? Absolutely. Many people would say, off the cuff, that the heart of Paul's teaching is justification by faith. What many such people understand as the meaning of this phrase is something like this. People are always trying to pull themselves up by their own moral bootstraps. They try to save themselves by their own efforts to make themselves good enough for God or for heaven. This doesn't work. One can only be saved by the sheer unmerited grace of God, appropriated not by works but by faith. But if you start with the popular view of justification, you may actually lose sight of the heart of Pauline gospel, whereas if you start with the Pauline gospel itself, you will get justification and all its glory thrown in as well. Yeah, this, the same sort of thing. It's a denial of justification being the forgiveness of sins, and it's making it something else. Um, 
so again, we're looking. We're going to look at someone like, um, uh, like E.P. Sanders or uh, this guy Dunn or N.T. Wright or um, something. It seems that the writing is a little bit more casual and conversational, though. Uh, and so, in the first quotation, it had this phrase, "the theology of the cross," uh, which is, uh, of course, a Lutheran phrase. So, someone familiar with Lutheranism as well. So, uh, let's have one more quotation, and we'll see if we can. Throw out a guess. Okay. The problem Paul addresses in Galatians is not the question of how precisely someone becomes a Christian or attains a relationship with God. The problem he addresses is, should an ex-pagan convert be circumcised or not? Now, this question is by no means obviously uh, to do with the questions faced by um, Augustine or Pelagius or by Luther or Erasmus. On anyone's reading, but especially within the first century context, it has to do quite obviously with the question of how you define the people of God. Are they to be, def- be defined as the badges of Jewish race or in some other way? Circumcision is not a moral issue. It does not have to do with moral effort or earning salvation by good deeds. Nor can we simply treat it as a religious ritual, then designate all religious ritual as crypto-Pelagian good works, and so smuggle Pelagius into Galatia as the arch-opponent after all. First century thought, both Jewish and Christian, simply doesn't work like that. Yeah, uh... This is a just a clear and I and for those of you listening and hearing this stuff and you're saying what is this guy talking about this this is just classic new perspective on Paul which isn't like I said it's the same old scholastic stuff it's the idea that the the tension in in the scriptures and with Paul is not how to please God who demands us to be righteous but rather how to be part of the people of God if it requires circumcision and all these Jewish rules uh, when therefore when Paul talks about the law. We understand that to be the whole law, all the commands of God to be righteous. But the new perspective understands it to be these kind of what they call covenantal nomism, the laws of the covenant, Sabbath and uh, circumcision. Uh, And so it's not about good works, but rather about uh, the works that make you part of the covenant. So, uh, and it's really a disaster. We should put something on our website, write a paper or something about how the new perspective on Paul, so-called new perspective, is just the same as the scholastic perspective on Paul, which Luther fought against. I mean, he'll, he outlines the new perspective just as well as anyone can today and then talks about what's wrong with it. I thought you were already working um, on that. Yeah, it's in outline form. Okay. So we'll have to see if we can get it so done. In, Unless you, you want to write In it. a few months, you can check our website, tabletalkradio.org, <laughs> and see if it's up yet. That's right, and then and uh, then send emails to Pastor Wolfmiller, B, uh, what are you, what are you, PRBW at tibetaltalkradio dot org, and uh, bug him for not having it done. Yeah, that's right. That that would really speed things up. Uh, but <laughs> you could Evans now gloating because he's finally got a paper up there. One little paper gets you off the hook. That's right. I'm going to say Dunn. What's the guy's name? Dunn. James Dunn. James Dunn. That's my guess. That is incorrect. But it is one of one of the ones you named earlier. Want to take another shot? Uh, Sanders? No. Want to take another shot? Right. That's right. N.T. Right. That's the one. Uh, he he must. What is that? Do you know what? Are those all from the same writing? Yeah, or it's from like what Saint Paul really said. Yeah, this must have been a symposium paper or a, uh, some sort of. Normally, N.T. Right is a. I, from my reading of it, is a little bit more academic, but this is written. In a pretty popular style there. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's all the time we have. We didn't give a chance to get to other theologians. So Neither of us got it. Hope you guys learned something along the way, though. And uh, if your preacher starts preaching like N.T. Wright, then uh, 
Yeesh, let the flags go. Or up. like Jonathan Edwards. <laughs> True. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to Table Talk Radio. Check us out on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Click the forum button. You can chat with us about this show and with our other listeners as well. See you next time on Table Talk Radio. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to questions at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.